You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. They are Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan. We are all downtown Atlanta right now and broadcasting personally 52 stories uh, above downtown Atlanta. I wish we could show you the background, but the lighting gets all messed up if we open the screen. Me and uh, me and uh, Daniel have similar backgrounds here, our beautiful uh, Weston Hotel curtains. And Mark found a cool spot with the Peach Bowl uh, backdrop <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, we're going to come with you, uh, come to you with a few episodes while we're down here in Atlanta covering Penn State for the Beach Bowl, leading up to the game and after the game, which takes place at noon on Saturday. Uh, we just had our last chance of 2023 to see Penn State practice action. We'll get into some of those takeaways. Uh, there are a bunch of player notes to look at as well. But as we gather here in Atlanta and, and finish off this 2023 uh, season of coverage, uh, just a, a lot of love for you guys and what we've been able to accomplish thus far. But Mark beat us to the punch, Daniel. He was down here before Christmas. You and I were on flights uh, the day after Christmas to get down here. Uh, but, Mark, you were here, I believe, December 24th, 23rd. Uh, you spent your Christmas in the Atlanta Aquarium. Beyond all that and all the fun you and Grace had, what did you learn on Tuesday when you were just about the only member of the Penn State media beat in attendance for some of the earliest Penn State action here in the city? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the primary question was going to be what was Olu Fashanu doing? And, uh, you know, we, we were really wondering. I mean, uh, we saw him practice back in Happy Valley, but he said he was definitely going to be with the team, uh, but we weren't sure if he was going to be playing. And I think the extent to which he was practicing on Tuesday, my, my days are all messed up, um, you know, kind of led me to believe that he is going to play. You know, we're, we're going to have to wait and see when the game actually gets here, but I couldn't imagine why he would be out there taking first team reps. And it was a very brief window uh, on Tuesday. Um, uh, you know, maybe it seems even more compressed than usual just because you're in a different place and, you, you know, you're, you're not as familiar with where, where you're going and that sort of thing. Uh, but in the 15 minutes that we were there, if there were first team reps to be had, he was the one who was taking them. Now that doesn't mean he was taking them all practice. I would be surprised if he was taking them all practice, uh, all of them. Uh, but but just the fact that he was doing that at that point w- would lead me to believe that, that that's the case. And we also learned, and uh, thanks to ATL, one of our uh, subscribers, you know, it's, it's one of the beautiful things about having a site like this. You know, I, I went to the practice. And I mistook Kalen King for somebody else. He was running right after a safety, and I thought maybe he was a scout team player, and uh, he wasn't. And, and I, I messed it up. And as it turns out, you know, I was able to go back and review my video, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, somebody alerted me to it on the board, and it's like that is Kalen King. So we, in effect, broke that with the assist of 
uh, of one of our members, which is tremendous. So I apologize for the mistake, but I also think it points out the value of having so many sets of eyes. And for people who don't know, that Tuesday practice, it was really under the radar, open to the public for the first hour. And people who are savvy enough to see that buried in the fine prints of one of the releases actually showed up. And ATL, one of our uh, one of our guys uh, who I assume lives down here in Atlanta, actually showed up and was able to help out. But the fact that Kalen King is here, we weren't sure. He wasn't at the last practice we were at. On uh, he definitely wasn't at the last practice we were at on uh, December fifteenth back in Happy Valley. His brother was, uh, but the fact that he was here practicing. You know, is we didn't know if he was going to be here, if he had opted out, what was happening. He had made no no announcement. Um, it, it it was it was newsworthy. Now, what he was doing at practice was a different story. Where you had Olu, like seeming like the guy at left tackle, and we even saw more of it today uh, with Kalen King not doing nearly as much. And completely understandable. However, they want to handle these things, but that's the value in getting here a little bit early. You know, we were the only two uh, print slash digital people who were here. Uh, there was a TV reporter, Ali Barubi, who covers Penn State, who was also there uh, from the Penn State people. But, but being able to get there. The other thing I would say, just two, two more quick things. I know I'm dominating the conversation here. But James Franklin on Tuesday was just so light and busting stones and, and having fun at, at practice. Uh, it's we usually don't see that on Wednesday, and I don't think we saw it today either. Now, he may be like that, you know, every Tuesday, but <laughs> Lamont Payne intercepted caught an interception in a drill and ran the wrong way. <laughs> and Franklin just, What are you doing, Lamont? What's going on? And then he joked, We may have to put him back in concussion protocol, you know, joking. I didn't know Lamont Payne had a concussion at some point, but apparently <laughs> did. And you know, James kind of announced it there on the field, but. Just he was he was busting stones during drills like I usually don't see. We usually don't see outside of preseason practice. And then the other thing I would say, and I, I don't think I'm violating any trust here. I put it on our message board that when we the night we got here, the 24th, the intern and I, there's very limited places open. And one of them was the Hard Rock across the street. And uh, we went to the Hard Rock, got something to eat. And we were scoping out a diner. We lost Daniel. He's so bored of me talking. This diner place that we might be able to eat the next morning. And we went down there. And it turns out it's a 24-hour diner and also like a you know, watering hole place where people can go out and have a couple of drinks. And you know, we did see some players in there and they were having fun, but they were, you know, they weren't causing any trouble. But they saw us come in and they were like, oh my God, what's going on? Not realizing that I've been around this long enough, you know, that I've seen players like goon back when he was in school, you know, I would, I, I would see him. So uh, my point being, these guys, they're allowing them to have some fun. And I think these guys we've seen throughout the last couple of years have been responsible enough to know how to do it the right way. So now we're in a mode where they're winding down and getting ready for the game, but that's some of the feel, you know, the other one last thing I'm going to say, and I swear I'll stop at this is the weather has been kind of brutal for this area. You know, it was, it was raining and wet, you know, the first couple of days we were here uh, and, and breezy, you know, much better than up in Pennsylvania, uh, but not tremendous for this area. So hopefully it warms up a little bit. The game's inside, so that's not going to matter. But for any fans who are coming down, I think the weather may be a little bit better for you over the next couple of days. So sorry for taking all that time, but, you know, I wanted to give a little perspective after getting here early. Yeah, highs in the 40s a couple of days this week down in Atlanta. So uh, not really a, a wardrobe change from what we were doing uh, up north during Christmas time to, to what we have in front of us down here. Uh, Daniel had housekeeping show up on him. Uh, we, this is the, the magic of recording from hotel rooms while on the road, uh, but they are now gone. And, and just want to circle back to the Kaylin King note there, because when he was absent from that December 15th practice, which followed up the Penn State on-campus Peach Bowl Media Day, and he was not one of the dozen or so defenders who were made available to us that day. Naturally, considering his potential draft status, it, it was wondering, well, will we ever see Kalen King in a Penn State uniform again? And Mark Brennan got eyes on him on Tuesday. And then James Franklin, in a, in a Zoom conference call yesterday, was followed up about Kalen King's presence. And Daniel, you had a story up at lines247.com where Franklin spoke specifically about Kalen King to some degree, but really spoke about the philosophy that he has within the program that 
there isn't a necessity for Nittany Lions players to opt out because they want to come to the table after the regular season and come up with a plan with that player, with their families. It sounds like they've done it with Olu Fashionu. I know James Franklin loves to reference what they did with Saquon Barkley leading up to the Fiesta Bowl in 2017. What did you glean from, from the comments that Franklin had Tuesday regarding Kalen King and regarding the opt-out circumstances across college football? Yeah, I mean, the, the subtext with, with the Saquon Barkley mention that comes up every time we have this discussion is probably something along the lines of like, you know, if it's good enough for Saquon Barkley, it's good enough for you, uh, for, for some of these players. I think reading reading between the lines, that's some dots you can connect. But I think that it just kind of goes to how James Franklin has kind of talked about and portrayed his program with us in terms of that. There is, he wants there to be open lines of communication uh, he wants, I think, everyone to always be on the same page. I don't think he wants any of the players to take him by surprise. He doesn't want to do anything that'll take these players by surprise. Um, I think that in terms of, you know, even talking to some of the players about Manny Diaz leaving, uh, for example, uh, you know, at Bull Media Day, um, it was very, none of them seemed super, super surprised. And they kind of talked about, obviously, they found out through media reports like the rest of us. Um, or some of us did, but I, it does seem like that they were, there was also a line of communication on the inside that this was a possibility. This was something that could happen. Don't be surprised by it. Um, and I think that we see it a lot with the recruiting too, uh, when it comes to coaching changes where um, you know, the lines of communication are open so that you get these players to commit to James Franklin, to Penn state, as opposed to the, to a certain coach um, or something like that. So I, I think that, you know, Franklin did, you know, a nice job of kind of opening it, opening it up to an to an overarching philosophy um, of things. But I, I think it also it is also something that I think that you know we've seen it a little bit in terms of talking about Olu Fashionu, where you know these conversations don't start you know the day after the Michigan State game. Um, it you know it seems like that there's been it's something that they have these open lines of communication going on, so that you know you're not just working on firming up this relationship at the end of November and hoping that it carries over, you know, to get a guy to play in a bowl game that, um, you know, these, they try to harp on these relationships and have these relationships be strong. So it'll carry throughout a season. So um, I, I thought it was kind of interesting to hear Franklin talk about it. Um, you know, I think that you know, he and Lane Kiffin seem to be kind of on the same page <laughs> on, on some of these things right now in terms of um, opt outs and not wanting guys to opt out, not thinking guys should opt out. Um, you know, both teams have players in kind of different positions, but um, it seems like that both Ole Miss and Penn State are are two teams where the coaches have worked hard to foster these relationships, to create that culture, create that chemistry, where you get to a you know, essentially an exhibition game at the end of the season, and you have guys who want to stick it out. Um, Cedric Johnson uh, on Ole Miss's end and then Shop Robinson for Penn State, both of them edge rushers, are the two public opt-outs at this point. But we still have not seen Johnny Dixon engaged on the practice field with Penn State since the regular season ended in Detroit on Black Friday. Uh, Matt Zenitz, who is a newsbreaker for us at, at 24-7 Sports within the network, he had reported on December 15th, that same day that, that we were over at practice and the same day that we were at Peach Bowl Media Day, uh, that his expectation was for Johnny Dixon to opt out everything we've seen and heard to this point lends further credence to that report from december 15th um thus far no johnny dixon and 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 so if you were to tack that on to chop robinson you're talking about two starters two all big 10 caliber performers here in 2023 uh, missing from your defensive equation uh, meanwhile uh, just catching up on some other news that dropped you know since our last episode which was before christmas to now Daquan Hardy made his plans for 2024 known while we're talking about the cornerback position with Kalen King uh, and talking about it with Johnny Dixon. Uh, Daquan Hardy announced that the Peach Bowl will be his last hurrah. He's a guy that showed a whole different dynamic to his game this year, earning All-American uh, status in some uh, outlets and, and also All-Big Ten status as a punt returner, in addition to being an All-Big Ten defender at cornerback. So he'll be moving on. He's not going to take that sixth year. Uh, him and Caden Wallace both fall into that category of guys who uh, opted not to take advantage of COVID eligibility and move on after five years with the program. And then the other big announcement that came through, fellas, was Tyler Warren. 
uh, who not only is going to play in the Peach Bowl, but he's going to play for Penn State in 2024. We knew they're losing Theo Johnson, who we, we caught up with a bit today. We'll get to that in a moment. But Tyler Warren led this team with seven touchdown catches on the season. He played 40-plus snaps every single week after doing that only once during the 2022 season. And, and now that return, Mark, we have a lot of respect for what Ty Howell has in the tight ends room. But you go from really needing to rely upon a big jump from Khalil Dinkins, a big jump from Andrew Rappelier, maybe an immediate impact necessary for a guy like Luke Reynolds, to each of them kind of going down a peg because Tyler Warren is still on campus for another year. Yeah, the thing about Tyler Warren, I don't know about you guys, but I still think he has room to grow. I think he could be frightening. I mean, I think he can play himself up into being one of the top couple of tight ends taken. And, you know, whether that means the first round, I don't know what it means. Uh, but I just think, you know, he, he was kind of late to the position, you know, being a former high school QB, uh, has kind of grown into this big, massive, athletic uh, tight end and where whereas you know I, I think we know what Theo Johnson is and what he's going to be at the next level which is very good um, uh, you know Tyler Warren to me I think there's still room for him to grow and get even better which is frightening and you know I think it's actually I don't know that it's a bad thing for those other guys in the program uh, you, you know was a Dinkins ready to step up as the number one tight end Maybe, but we're not sure about that. And, you know, some of the younger guys, I mean, you know, let's face it. You know, they didn't even really get on the field that much this season. Rappelier, you know, being the guy that we're, we're, we're thinking about the most. I mean, who has the physical uh, kind of wherewithal to be an impact guy this year. I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of him in the bowl game. Uh, but, yeah, I just – I think it's a it, it's an awesome situation for, for Penn State. And – I really do think that this is something that could work out for Tyler Warren. So it's going to be interesting to track that, you know, where Theo ends up being drafted after Brenton Strange last year, which I think Theo is going to be, we've, we've discussed it here. I mean, he's going to go to the combine and, you know, just do crazy things. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think Tyler Warren can do it on the field. And then when he gets his crack at the, at the combine, I think he's going to be in, in, in a different stratosphere as well. So it's going to be fun to watch him for another year. The last three starting tight ends, and they are co-starters, but the last three starting tight ends from Penn State to go off to the NFL were selected in the second round. Mike Kosicki to the Miami Dolphins, Pat Fryer moved to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then Brenton Strange to the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll find out what Theo Johnson has in store for NFL scouts in the months ahead. But Tyler Warren confirming his commitment to Penn State for 2024. We, we went face-to-face uh, -face, uh, this morning with tight ends coach Ty Howell, who's wearing that co-interim OC uh, label right now as well. And he just said there's, there are some aspects of Tyler Warren's game that they're going to really polish over the course right. of this offseason. And he set the stage for that being big news for Penn State's offense, but also big news for Tyler Warren when he returns for that feedback from the NFL level, like I'm sure they got here in the last few weeks. You know, what do the scouts think of me? And you, and you get some feedback there. It could be very promising for him come December 2024. Um, and, and, and we'll have a lot more time to kind of break down that tight end room and, and everything else. But shifting over to wide receiver, um, look, Harrison Wallace was a guy that we thought was hyped up during preseason, and, and there was a lot of buzz around. Maybe we didn't quite know how much buzz was happening because Theo Johnson went on the record with us today a couple times and, and saying that this was viewed as their wide receiver one during August camp, the, the, the plays he was making, the consistency with which he was performing. Uh, Jaywan Slater called him Mr. Consistent. And and he, uh, Theo Johnson said he was going mano a mano with Kalen King over and over again and, quote, cooking him uh, during preseason camp. <laughs> and then we saw mean? Harrison Wallace show up in that week one game, lead the Nittany Lions with seven catches. No, no huge gain, 72 yards, but he was that kind of safety net in some ways for Drew Aller early on. That ended up being essentially half of his stat line on the season, guys. He had 15 catches. He had fewer than 160 yards, I think, on the season. No touchdowns. And yet here we are, final week of the year, and Harrison Wallace re-enters the conversation because he was out at practice on Tuesday. He was out there again on Wednesday. We've talked to a few coaches and a few different players about Harrison Wallace's potential to play, and they all – Deferred to James Franklin, as you expect they might. They say it's going to be a decision between James Franklin 
and Trey Wallace. But this is a guy that I can already tell we're going to go through this cycle again, Daniel, in 2024, of him being a very popular breakout pick. And, and that's fantastic because that's how he is viewed within this building. But at a position where we have spent so much of December focusing on external options, guys from outside the program, a guy who spent this this year with the Ohio State Buckeyes, here's someone under your roof that is very highly regarded and all of a sudden could be back in play against Ole Miss Saturday. It's going to be something that we're watching with those binoculars Saturday morning inside the stadium. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to uh, I, I think Mark had a line uh, earlier this year about you know the way that they talk about Harrison Wallace. Uh, you, you think that he's put up Jahan Dotson numbers uh, in, in his career, and you know we're still kind of waiting to actually see it. Um, you know, you look at his career stat line: thirty-four catches, four hundred thirty-four yards, one touchdown. Um, but I, I do think we've seen those physical tools really teased out, um, you know, here and there. I, I thought that the way that he was used in that West Virginia game really stood out to me um, because it kind of described it as that Parker Washington type role. Um, you know, get 10 yards a catch, move the chains, be steady, you know, let Keandre Lambert Smith be that kind of explosive guy. Um, you know, I think that you kind of expected to see Harrison Wallace used a little bit more vertically. Um, but it, it will be interesting to see. I mean, I think that when you talk about guys being able to use these bowl games as, as springboards in the next year, um, I know that there's kind of differing lines of thoughts on that. Uh, I mean, Theo Johnson and Caden Wallace came out this morning and they said that they're asked about, you know, this game boosting their draft stock. And they both said that they weren't, that didn't factor into their decision and they don't really view it that way. Um, but I do think that if you can get Harrison Wallace out there, if he can do some nice things, put some things on tape and kind of show that maybe this need at wide receiver isn't quite as dire as it seems, you know, or that there is kind of an internal option that, you can't forget about going into this offseason. I think that could be good for Penn State, but I think that, you know, as with I think a lot of things that we've talked about with this team this year and, and in different areas over the past few years, you kind of got to believe it. Uh, you know, you be you'll believe it when you see it. Um, and I think that Trey Wallace is in that category right now. But um, you know, along the Trey Wallace lines, I had a, a fun conversation with an Ole Miss uh, safety, Trey Washington who was Harrison Wallace's uh, seven on seven teammate in Alabama in high school. And, um, you know, he said that if Harrison Wallace can play, that it would just be very surreal uh, for both of them to be on the field together at the Peach Bowl. So I, I thought that that was pretty neat. And, you know, someone else who's kind of rooting for Trey Wallace to get out there. I thought it was interesting. J1 Sider, uh, quite honest with an answer. Uh, when we, when he was asked about Trey Wallace, he said it, his absence, quote, stunted our growth a little bit. Um, in terms of the past game, he talked about it needing to accelerate the development of Adante Cephas and Malik McLean. Um, and he said it just took those took that a little bit longer to get into the system, understanding where they needed to be. And, and, and obviously, you'd like that more depth where the loss of one guy doesn't stunt your growth. But we knew where the receiver room was. And going all the way back to March when this team was on the practice field, James Franklin always mentioned two guys and rarely mentioned anyone else. It was Keandre Lambert-Smith. It was Harrison Wallace, and then it was everybody else fighting for a role. Uh, we saw that early on, and then Harrison Wallace early in the season was banged up. He was limited for some early season matchups. He missed the Northwestern game, uh, worked his way back, trying to get to full health, and then late October against Indiana finishes that, finishes that matchup on the sideline wearing a sling on his arm. Uh, so here we are, uh, uh, you know, almost two months removed from that injury against Indiana, and uh, he'll have an opportunity uh, to, to showcase that he's available for this game, ready for this game. Those are the ongoing conversations, and I'm sure what practice ob observations are going to help the staff uh, ultimately decide if, if Harrison Wallace is out there for them on, on Saturday afternoon. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Speaking of that practice that, that we just uh, took in over in the Atlanta Falcons home, uh, we spent some time at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Really cool spot uh, for those fans that are venturing into the game. 
should be a great venue to watch football. I'm looking forward to checking out that press box um, and awesome looking place from from outside, just in terms of the architecture inside. Daniel, uh, you and I were focused on different parts of the field. We just posted our practice report at lines 247.com for VIP subscribers. Bullet points. What stood out to you on the offensive end? I think the the number one thing was was seeing Harrison Wallace back out there. Um, and then you go go through and you saw Olu Fashionu out there. Um, he was standing on the left side of the the offensive line across the field with Drew Shelton and Javen Williams. Um, and I think that I think we're expecting kind of to see um, you know three or even four offensive tackles uh, rotating through on on Saturday, given the given we don't know what exactly we'll see from Olu and then also, um, you assume that there's some plan in place with Caden Wallace on the right side. Um, but I think overall, it was just kind of, you know, getting eyes on these skilled position players. Um, I missed that practice uh, after Bowl Media Day uh, almost two weeks ago because I was going to, to New York to see the basketball team. Um, but kind of getting getting eyes on them again and, um, you know, seeing you know, some familiar faces again. I, I think that you just kind of forget after not seeing these guys live for like a month, you know, what kind of quarterback Drew Aller is, the way that he throws the ball, the kind of touch that he has. Um, all three quarterbacks really with with Prabula and Smolik, you know, their development as passers, I think has kind of impressed me through over the course of the year. Um, they're throwing these wheel routes out of the backfield, they're running backs. Um, London Montgomery uh, made a really, really nice catch um, over the shoulder. Uh, so did DK Kensey. Um, one of the, the walk-on running backs. Um, but so on the, the offensive side of the ball, it's kind of, you know, there aren't many opt-outs. It's kind of the same cast of characters that we saw for m most of the season, minus Christian Driver. Um, he's really the, the only departure from that group. But you know, looking through it, um, you, you kind of, and seeing Trey Wallace back out there too, just kind of how that shuffles things, how that moves things around. He was with the top group with Keandre Lambert-Smith and Caden Saunders a couple times. Uh, and Theo Johnson, and it, it kind of shows you, um, you know, what this could look like, maybe what it was supposed to look like for, for much of the season. It certainly looked great. Last time we saw this <laughs> offense in action against a Michigan State team that was really on its last legs and about to push the reset button from a coaching perspective and also a roster perspective in a lot of ways. But that was our last chance. They produced some fireworks at Ford Field in Detroit. And, and on the defensive side of the football, um, very similar vibes at cornerback, I think, to what you described that Olu Fashionu and, and some of the younger components at offensive tackle. King was there. He was drilling, uh, but I wouldn't say he was leading the drill work. Uh, I would say he was involved. And, 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 and sophomore Cam Miller, freshman Zion Tracy, freshman Elite, uh, Elliot Washington, those three, I think, really end up in the spotlight here because we know we'll see Daquan Hardy. Um, what we wonder is with Hardy and, and certainly with Kalen King, will there be any kind of a, a limited capacity to their involvement here against Ole Miss? I know it's such a strange thing to talk about if you're going to play in the game. Why wouldn't you play it to win it and all that stuff? But there are dynamics and layers to all these decisions. And when Penn State you know, gets together with these players and their families and tries to come up with a plan that makes sense to keep guys opted in, sometimes it does involve a kind of a recalibrated workload on the practice field and potentially on game day. So those three younger cornerbacks, they're going to need to take a huge step next year. Cam Miller has a head start because he was essentially involved on a week-to-week -week basis on defense this season, whereas Zion Tracy and, and Elliot Washington, while they did factor in occasionally, a lot of their run came on special teams. Uh, and then one thing we could have cleared up earlier, maybe we should have cleared up earlier, uh, Abdul Carter was another one of those players who was missing from Penn State's practice back on December 15th. Uh, only a sophomore, so none of us were, were, were thinking he'd opt out and declared for the 2025 NFL draft. But last we had seen him on the field at Ford Field in Detroit, he was wreaking havoc, had another monster game. He had a monster November, but he did leave that matchup early. He was available to reporters afterward in postgame, and, and we indicated that was a, that was a strong uh, positive step for Abdul Carter that Penn State would make him available. But when he's not on the practice field, December 15th, and you're a couple weeks away from taking on a number 11 SEC squad, we had some questions. He's back on the practice field this week. It looks like he's going full speed. So a uh, guy that's maybe going to be able to, to produce a launch pad for himself on Saturday going into the 2024 when he should be among college football's uh, most lauded linebackers in the country. Um, guys, elsewhere on defense, I wanted to just quickly – or elsewhere on the field, I wanted to quickly note Amari Evans. Uh, you saw this, and I think you put it in your notes. He had a nice uh, stab of the football, and, and he got some love from members of the coaching staff. I know Theo Johnson, Caden Saunders were kind of dapping him up when he came over. 
he is somebody that that you know 60 yard catch against Michigan State. I think it was a 28 yard catch the week before. Uh, does that momentum maintain for another matchup? And and he seems like he's one of those players that since the offensive coordinator change. They've just been evaluating him differently, implementing him differently, and we've seen some results in the football field for what felt like largely kind of a wasted sophomore season from a productivity standpoint. If he can string together three games here with a bowl where he's involved and he's making some splash plays, then all of a sudden the complexion of where he is at coming out of year two changes just a bit, I think. Um, Pat Kraft was there. Andy Kotelnicki was was making the rounds. Uh, he was kind of uh, on the perimeter, on the sideline when I saw him. Definitely in observation mode. He's not out there among the coaching staff yelling at players. In fact, I talked to Nick Singleton this morning what the interactions have been like with Andy Kotelnicki. He described him as kind of a background piece right now during Peach Bowl prep. And he said that he expects to have a one-on-one conversation with Andy Kotelnicki after the season when he gets those keys to the offensive coordinator job officially. So just some notes there from the practice field. We did have a bunch of media availability that we've referenced on on Wednesday. And uh, look, while Kotelnicki is going to take things over, this is another opportunity, Mark, for Ty Howell, Jaywan Sider, uh, to, to show what they can do beyond their respective position rooms uh, as these co, uh, co-offensive coordinators in the interim capacity. You heard from both of them. I know you were posted up with Jaywan for quite some time on Wednesday morning. What stood out uh, speaking with him about this opportunity and really what they've done as an offensive staff since Mike Yersich was shown the exit door? You know, the way he put it was was really good that uh, <coughs> he was asked multiple times why he and Ty work so well together. And for anybody who's followed our site, we've seen them for the last couple of years now before games out on the field doing laps around the, the, the stadium. Well, in, in around the field inside of the stadium. Those two guys together. So it's he, he uh Jaywan said that's a time where he he uses just to get everything out of his mind and kind of focus. And if you're doing that with somebody else, there's a level of trust there. there it's like, you know, there are a lot of people that you would do that with and they would be yapping the whole time and not not shutting up. But those two guys to be going through that process like two and a half hours before a game, before the team gets there, um, it, it's it, they're like on the same wavelength and have not been together that long. The other thing he said I thought was really cool is that, um, you know, he's Jay Wan's a former quarterback. And for people who don't know the story, he was actually drafted in the same round as Tom Brady. I think six picks later, his career went a little bit differently. And Ty Howell is a center. And it's like you have the quarterback in the center, the two people who have to work together and know everything that's going on on the field, and they've been able to implement that. What a great way of explaining how this complicated thing to idiots like me. You know, I mean, seriously, I I, I think I kind of know football, but not nearly at the level that those guys do. And for two people to be able to work together, they just they had to have a good relationship before that. And I think that's what we've seen. You know, the other thing that Jay Wan talked about, he is I think he kind of took it personally, the criticism some of the running backs were, were, were getting early in the year. Not some of the running backs. I mean, the two running backs. What am I saying? Uh, you know, Singleton and, and, and Katron Allen. And he didn't say that. But just in the way that he's talking, you know, he's he, for, for, from the way he was explaining it was that they were steamrolling people. Guys weren't playing in the fourth quarter and people knew exactly, especially with Singleton, who he was and weren't going to let him break those long plays. So they took what they were able to get and were still very successful, except obviously in the two biggest games of the year. But he thinks that Singleton still has another level. He thinks both guys, but I think especially with Singleton, that that he can get to. But he was very defensive of both of those guys. And we have been around him enough, haven't we, to know that if he thinks somebody's not playing well, he's going to tell us. Like, if we ask him, he is not going to sugarcoat anything. And he's done it with players in the past. So I think the level of respect that he's ha- he has for these guys for going through everything they've gone through. And he talked about it. You know, we, we, they're kids. They see, they, they see what people are saying. They hear what people are saying. And to be mature enough to not let that impact them 
And, you know, here they are, end of the season. You know, we knew basically after the Michigan State game that both guys were, were coming back and they weren't going anywhere. And, I, you know, I think Katron was prodded a little bit today by people asking, you know, why didn't he leave or whatever. And I think they're both just kind of on their own, different even keel. They're different personalities. But, you know, really emerging is kind of – or have emerged as kind of leaders with the way they handled the adversity. And I would not be at all surprised if, if both of those guys play well in this game. But he thinks both of them have another level uh, that they could get to. And I think with Singleton, that, that he, I think he really could use this as a learning experience and he, he could be much better for it moving forward because he never gave up when we saw him play his, his best game at the end of the regular season. So those are a couple of things that really stood out to me. He also essentially said, yeah, they know that in all likelihood, both of those guys will be off to the next level after uh, next season. Uh, but that's why they've recruited so well. And that's why, you know, at Penn State, he said, they've been able to stack classes because people see the level of success that they've had, not only at this level, but at the next level. And guys know they're going to, th that guys are probably going to leave after three years or four years, however long it may be, and that opportunities are going to open up. Yeah, very much like the tight end room right now. It feels like if, if you're going to commit to the program and stay the course by year two, year three, your moment will come, and then you'll have the opportunity to, to capitalize on it like the guy before you did. Um, and just quickly going back to Nick Singleton, because I did get some time with him here on Wednesday, um, very much mutual admiration between Sider and those running backs. They love Jaywan Sider. And, and and James Franklin told us was it last week on signing day, I believe it was, he said if Jaywan Sider wants to be a head coach, he will be. Um, and this is year six for Slider. Next year would be year seven. And to, to, for him to see it through with these three and for those for those two and for those two and Katron and Nick to see it through together in modern college football with uh, tampering happening and, and all the other stuff going on. If for these guys to spend three years together would be a remarkable accomplishment, especially if, if next year proves to be their best together. And uh, maybe a little bit more good news for Nittany Lions fans who at one point were wondering whether Singleton or Allen were wavering with the program. Singleton told me that not only are they back next year, but they plan to re-up as roommates next year. Him and Katron have been roommates uh, here during their sophomore year, and the plan is to extend that into their junior year too. So a lot to like about the future of Jaywan Slater's running back room. Um, meanwhile, over at quarterback, another guy who's back. I I've said this before, with Andy Kotal Nicky coming to town, and, and we'll see what they can do at the wide receiver position. But there are a lot of components to this 2024 offensive outlook that feel like all in. You've got these two running backs for one more year. You've got the junior quarterback on the rise and Drew Aller next year. We did hear from Aller today. And Daniel, you probably heard the most from him because we were all kind of separated and scattered across uh, the, the place this morning in this hotel. Um, what stood out from QB1 and, and his his kind of answer to you? And the only thing I asked him about with Harrison Wallace, and uh, yeah, he, he said they need Harrison Wallace, but he also said it's not his decision. So beyond that, what do we need to know from Drew? Yeah, when, when he was up at the podium uh, but before his breakout session, um, I asked him and, and also Nick Singleton that, you know, what, what do they want to accomplish while they're here in Atlanta and over this full month? I mean, we hear it time and time again about how, um, you know, getting to the bowl game is a big deal for getting to play in the bowl, trying to win, uh, win a bowl game. But you also get this extra month of practices. I believe it's 15 or 16. And um, you know, I asked them, what do they want to get out of this beyond just winning a Peach Bowl, getting to play one last time with, with their teammates, um, all of that. And, and Aller said that for him, it, it's all about reps, that he wants as, as many reps as he can get. doesn't matter if it's a run play or a pass play. You know, everything that he does, he wants to be perfect. And the only way that he can get there is by going through these reps, um, and everything. And so I, I think that that kind of stood out to me as to how important this is for him, what what he wants to accomplish. Um, but I, I do think that I do think that overall um, that this is something that he can really use as a springboard for next year. Um, I, I think that Aller, we've you know, it's going to be different next year. That's kind of the one thing in terms of talking to these offensive guys about their development and everything along those lines that. Yeah, there's going to be a whole new offense uh, in next next season with Andy Kotelnicki. Um, so that kind of, in terms of continuity, it's not going to be the the full, I guess, continuity going into next year. 
because there are, is going to be a, a pretty big change. But I think that these guys just want to get there. And, you know, I think especially for Aller, you know, the more reps that he can get, the better, um, just because of how we've seen him play um, and, and everything along those lines. Yeah, coming off a performance where he completed 65% of his passes, took some deep shots, looked as good as we have seen him uh, thus far as a Penn State quarterback. We'll see if that carries over uh, against an SEC opponent with a 10-2 and record here on Saturday afternoon. Uh, a couple guys that we wanted to get some attention on today because uh, maybe our last opportunity to speak with them as Penn State student-athletes, <laughs> Theo Johnson. Yeah, Theo Johnson and Caden Wallace as Daniel drops out of the uh, <laughs> drops out of the video. Did you hear the door knocking? Housekeeping's back for Daniel. It yeah. must have a very messy room already here. Room service. Didn't take long. Yeah, room service. Uh, Mark, um, getting over to that, I was going to bring you into this anyways because I spent a lot of time with Caden Wallace and you spent a lot of time with Theo Johnson. And each of them um, are moving on to the NFL uh, after this year. And in Caden Wallace's case, I spent a lot of time saying, you know, do you take a moment to be proud of your accomplishment? Because he told us all year long leading up to this season that he was going to be a different kind of offensive tackle. Uh, we heard it from different people in the facility, although there was definitely a, like, let's wait and see it uh, rather than talk about it. Uh, and, and we saw it game by game by game. 12-game sample size for Caden Wallace changed a lot of the way that NFL scouts view him as a potential piece moving forward as a pro. And it changed the way I think Caden Wallace views himself as an offensive tackle. Um, yes, he was a former top 100 prospect coming out of high school, highly regarded recruit, a guy that could have burned redshirt here and almost did a four year starter now at Penn State. But he's been he's been very critical of himself, I think. And he's been more honest with us in conversations about that criticism. He said he has played bad. He has played averaged. He has played at a high level. He feels like he had never strung it together like this before, though where it's consistency and, and and doing a little more digging this morning with Ty Howell, a former Penn State offensive lineman himself, he says there has been a different edge and physicality to Caden Wallace's game. That's something that we've heard feedback from on the practice field going back to August about how he's just taking it to another level and his engagement with defenders. But this is a guy that I think you, you, you walk, you, you, he's going to walk away from this game. And by the way, uh, his family still has a house 30 minutes outside of Atlanta. Uh, his earliest football experiences were as an elementary school student and a, and a middle schooler living in the Atlanta area before he moved up to New Jersey. So this is a really cool story, full circle kind of moment for him to come back down, get to play in the Peach Bowl. He said he said nothing about this season to him as a disappointment. Uh, he understands that, that they wanted the college football playoff, but he said he's not going to allow himself to feel disappointed if they walk away from this thing as an 11-win team that just beat Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl. So a guy that seems like he is mentally in as good a place as he has been in his entire life uh, from a, a playing standpoint, certainly in the best place th that he has been here at Penn State. Everyone in that facility to a man will tell you that. So I just wanted to address that with Kane. I'm, I'm curious if there was anything worth sharing from your time with Theo Johnson because he's another guy who had a chance if he chose to use COVID eligibility and stick around for another season like Caden Wallace. He, he announced he'd be playing in the Peach Bowl but would not be back at Penn State in 2024. Yeah, for people who missed it, he uh, Theo had mentioned this at uh, the Bowl Media Day back in back in Happy Valley, uh, but, but people may have missed it. I know the holidays were kind of looming, but – you know, he told us then and he repeated it today and he, he added on to it today a little bit, too, that prior to the season, you know, he told James Franklin that no matter what he does, he's going to be playing in the bowl game. And that leads me to believe that he knew that this was going to be his last year, no matter how it kind of played out, you know, barring injury and knock on wood. Thankfully, he wasn't uh, wasn't hurt. And, you know, why was that important to him? Because, you know, it's one of those things when we asked about the uh, the playing in the bowl where, where James Franklin said it before uh, we, we got down here, and I forget exactly what it was, but he said for some of these players, there's value in playing in the bowl. You touched on it earlier, suggesting that they could improve their stock against a, against an SEC opponent. And Theo, you know, kind of downplayed that, but said, you know what there is value in? Showing you're, you're as good as your word, showing that you're good on your word and that you're going to promise a coach before the season that you're going to play in a bowl no matter what happens and following through on that. And that's why so many of these, so many of these people have done it. So many of these kids have done it. I don't think you can look negatively at Chop Robinson for not playing in the bowl as high as he could go. 
that's his personal decision. I don't know if he made any guarantee. I very, I doubt very much that he did because I think he's the kind of kid we know that if he did that, he would follow through on it as well. But to hear Theo say that, you know, it, it kind of resonates. And I could see where that would be – that would impress NFL scouts. To me, that that would be something where, you know what, this guy made a, a, a commitment to his team and he decided to stick with it. The other thing, I did not know this, that he had a previous relationship with Andy Kotelnicki. <laughs> his, Kotelnicki That's a good story. Yeah, was, was an assistant at Buffalo – and recruited his older brother, Dominic. And so when he was a, a little Theo at 14 years old, which for, for that, he was probably, I don't even know how big. Uh, but he said, yeah, as he is. Uh, so his brother was recruited, goes to Buffalo, ends up being a good player at Buffalo, but not to the level, obviously, you know, that, that Theo was. A few years later, Theo's at a camp and Kotal Nicky is there. And he's like, what? happened to you <laughs> so they start he tries to recruit them and theo was like yeah you know i think they eventually realized that ship they had kind of sailed his brother was trying to recruit him to buffalo and and they, they they realized that that it wasn't going to happen but it just shows you so when kotal nikki gets the job one of the first people he contacts and i i just think this is what's great about football and about these programs and stuff. You know, he reaches out to Theo, not to try to get him to stay or anything, but to say, can you believe this? I mean, th this is how the, the, the football world works with, you know what? Be nice to everybody. And it's the same way in the media because you never know when you're ultimately going to cross paths. Uh, with somebody else. But I just thought that was a really cool story. We've gotten to know Andy Cole and Nikki through one press conference and just seeing him at a couple of events, the kind of outgoing personality he had, and for him to reach out to Theo knowing that he's never going to have the opportunity. But, you know, once again, Theo is one step ahead of Andy Kotelnicki. <laughs> you know, he's one step ahead. Oh, well, you know, I think I'm going to go to the NFL instead of coming back. <laughs> I'm ready for that right now. You know, I think I'm going to go, go to like a Penn State instead of Buffalo. I think I'm ready for that. So, uh, but just a fun story. Yeah, and it was uh, it was funny because he was like they were selling hard, uh, like come play with your brother, and his brother was like, yeah, come play with me. <laughs> and then you got Georgia, Michigan, Penn State offers, <laughs> and, and that looks a little less appealing. So Theo with a nice little candid anecdote there for us, um, and, and it's great because this is these bull trips are also the last chance for us to to speak. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll catch up with them after the season and before the draft, hopefully, but to speak with a lot of these guys as that we've been speaking with for four, five, six years, depending on their recruitment processes and. They tend to get a little more candid, open, and transparent toward the end of their careers than, than when things started out. Uh, so good stuff there. Wanted to finish off with a little opposing intel because, Daniel, while Mark and I went up to uh, to work on, on what we heard from Penn State players and coaches and put some things together. By the way, there's a story on Harrison Wallace up on the site now. There are a bunch of practice notes up on the site. There are videos from practice. There are videos of Drew Aller talking. There's a lot going on at Lions 24-7. But, Daniel, one of the things you did was stick downstairs and you made your way through the Ole Miss defensive representation. While we heard from Penn State offensive players, it was Ole Miss defensive players that were available. Give us just a little bit of a summary of what stood out from, from that. Yeah, it was it was pretty neat. Uh, the the Ole Miss beat is a, is a little bit lighter than the Penn State beats, though. I think there were maybe only seven or eight of them uh, there, so – during the, the way that it was set up, um, I essentially got to chat one-on-one -on -one, uh, with all the Ole Miss players who were there and um, just kind of getting their their thoughts about Penn State, um, you know, their thoughts about certain players. Um, I talked to J.J. Pagase, uh, defensive tackle, um, for a little while. Uh, he compared Katron Allen to Kenneth Walker um, in the way that that he runs and uh, the, the way that he approaches things um, you know, and, and kind of their physical builds. Um, the one thing I thought was really interesting was that both Pagays and defensive lineman Jared Ivey, they both compared Drew Aller to KJ Jefferson um, just because of the stature. Uh, Jefferson was six foot three, 247 pounds this year for Arkansas. Aller's listed at 6'5", 242. Um, and they said that that's kind of something that they were that they were looking at and an experience that they were drawing on. Um, you know, as they prepare for this game, kind of, you know, what's the what's the reference point um, that you have? So 
I thought that that was that was pretty interesting there. But um, I think overall, you know, something that you know the that the player that the guys talked about was um, you know I asked them a lot of questions about kind of the culture and the buy-in that they have at Ole Miss, um, and and it was kind of interesting to hear them talk about the excitement that they have and that's building within that program. And we all know what they're doing on the you know in the transfer portal right now, and it does remind me a lot of Penn State a year ago when we were at the Rose Bowl. Um, you know, things are a little bit different because with Penn State, it was mostly everyone's coming back and a couple guys are going to step into larger roles like Drew Aller. Um, but I did feel kind of a, a similar energy with things. And you know, I asked them kind of, how do you feel like you, I was like, can you channel that this Saturday? Um, you know, even because this excitement for 2024, you know, Walter Nolan isn't going to be suiting up uh, on, on Saturday. Um, but they said that the excitement that's within the team, it feels like everyone's playing for everyone else. Um, they think that that's something that they can really draw on uh, in the Peach Bowl on Saturday. So it was it was pretty interesting. I'm going to have that up uh, soon on Lions 24-7. Um, Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator, he was really entertaining, and he had some really, really good things to say um, about Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson and kind of the way that Penn State uses them at large. One thing he said was that with tight ends, normally you can really – divide it up. You know, these are their run snaps. These are, these are their pass snaps. This is how they use them. But because those guys do everything, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, and he also gave Penn State credit for doing different formations out of the same personnel group. So um, I'll have that up on Lions 24-7. There's some some good, good quotes in there. Um, and I think that it'll be nice to kind of have that opposing viewpoint uh, on the Lions. Yeah, and tomorrow on our next episode of the podcast, we're bringing you one on Thursday. We'll go through what we heard from Penn State's defensive players. We expect to hear from Anthony Poindexter tomorrow morning, bright and early here in Atlanta as well. And additionally, we'll get some Ole Miss intel uh, from an opposing beat reporter uh, as we get set for Saturday. And I think that's one of the great things about this matchup, guys, is you've got two teams that it's not a flash-in-the-pan type season. It's not a season where you're about to lose everybody and have to start from scratch next year. Both of these teams have reasons to view this as a launch pad opportunity, and we'll see who shows up and takes advantage of it in a matter of days. Mark, Daniel, appreciate it. I know we, we've all got work to get back to here, uh, but uh, it's fun to, to group together for our first podcast in almost a week and, and get some of our early coverage out there to folks. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks, right, we'll catch up. We'll catch up with you all soon. We'll be back with an episode Thursday. We'll be back with another episode Saturday after the game. Uh, for now, stepping aside here in Atlanta, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.